Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, March 26th, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, SCOTUS visits Iowa to promote the federal pandemic relief package. The rhetoric heats up in Iowa's second district, and 2024 is here. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for Lee Enterprises, and that last thought made me vomit a little. With me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Aaron. Me too. <laughs> <And> said <Gazette laughs> columnist Todd Norman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning, and I, I for one, welcome our new cast of overlords. So, <laughs> at least one of us does. Ha- happy to happy to see them. <laughs> As a reminder, uh, you can subscribe to the On Iowa Politics on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. First up this week, SCOTUS, the second gentleman of the U.S., for all of you acronym lovers out there. Visited Iowa this week as the Biden administration looked to bolster public support for the Democrat-designed federal COVID-19 relief package. Douglas M. Hoff, the husband of Vice President Kamala Harris, toured a Des Moines food bank and learned about food security issues. He was joined at the event by Tom Vilsack, the second tour federal ag secretary and former Iowa governor, as well as Congresswoman Cindy Axney. Todd, I I covered the event itself. It was fairly straightforward and dare I say humdrum. Uh, What's more interesting to me is the uh, very existence of this event. and, And it's been part of a series that the White House has put on to engage the public on the pandemic relief package. Uh, apparently it wasn't enough to send $1,400 direct checks to most U.S. adults. Um, they feel they need to uh, uh, bolster support for that even further. What do you what do you make of this little tour events like this? Is this a smart move by the administration? Was it necessary? Well, first I, I feel bad for the solicitor general because I don't think he or she has an acronym anymore. <laughs> Since we have second gentlemen, so that's that's got to be painful for them. Because uh, when that when that press release came out, that was the first thing I thought of, and I'm like, oh, second gentleman. I'm like, why would the solicitor general be coming here? Anyway, so yeah, it's you know it, it is necessary to to sell your big stuff. I mean, I I think we all remember that uh, there was a lot of criticism of the Obama administration for basically not doing enough to sell the Affordable Care Act, and that allowed its critics to sort of define it before uh, the administration could and and led to lots of political problems and and, uh, wave elections and and such. So so you need to get out there and and explain to people what this does. I think I read some comments by Senator Ernst. I'm not sure, maybe it was one of your stories or somewhere that she was basically saying, once people spend the 1400 bucks, they're gonna gonna only remember all all of the stuff that was in this that wasn't as popular and the blue state bailouts and all of those things. So I think you need to sort of get out ahead of that. And I think that's what the Biden administration is trying to do is to, is to show people that, you know, there is more to this than the $1,400 checks. It's, it's, it's got components that, uh, you know, would probably be popular if people knew about them and that's what they're emphasizing. So that makes sense. Yeah, there definitely is a, a, a political, PR campaign happening around this. Um, and Amy Todd just noted it. That he's exactly right. Um, I asked Senator Ernst a little while back uh, why she thinks Republicans feel so strongly that the yeah, relief package is a winning political yeah. issue for them. And and yeah. and again, Todd is right, exactly right. She said because she believes that once people spend those stimulus checks, 
they'll eventually forget about that and only remember that taxpayers are left to pay the bill for everything else that's in there. Um, and oh, yeah, that's, 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 where I, that's where I read it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you read it I, I totally forgot. It was, no, it was that's late. all right. It was late hey, last night, you know. Hey, I, hey you read it. Uh, it's I'm not important to me to, that it was my byline or not. I'm just trying to sabotage this whole thing, so <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I'll get you back so, later, it's fine. <laughs> Well, and, and, but so, so Amy, what, what do you think of that? Are Republicans going to be able to make this a winning issue for them? I mean, do, do you think, I guess, who, who do you suspect will, that voters will more fondly remember for the stimulus, the Democrats who voted for it or the Republicans who voted against it? Well, I mean, it's a couple years away, right? But I mean, the polling has been pretty consistent. So like even before the bill was passed, um, you saw um, something like a little over 70% of people supported it. Now, obviously, this was kind of flip, split by a political party, too. Um, the majority of Democrats supported it, um, while only about half Republicans did. Um, but that's still continued. So even now with the um, law being passed, you're still seeing those numbers. They really haven't measurably moved as of um, the last Politico morning consult poll that was done a week or two ago. So, yeah, it's it's not really moved the needle a lot. I think um, it, it would definitely have to be like, a major messaging overhaul for the Republicans to really sort of um, change people's minds. But I think just with time too, that will also like soften it. Like you'll forget about, you know, how much that money meant to you, um, you know, two years down the road. So it's still possible yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such Republicans a good point. That it's, take it back. Yeah. That's such a good point that it's a couple of years down the road. And so maybe to, um, Republicans line of thinking and what Senator Ernst says, maybe it's just more of a base thing anyways, because when you talk about, when you listen to what Republicans criticize about the bill, and Todd mentioned the biggest one you hear a lot is the whole blue states bailout thing is obviously that's nothing that's moving middle of the road type voters. That That's a base, you know, um, rallying cry. So maybe that's essentially what it is for Republicans is they're, they're betting it's not going to be a huge campaign issue in a, a year or so ago from now uh, for the midterm and, and, uh, but it could be something that fires up the base. What, what, do you, what do you think of that, Todd? Well, yeah, I think, I think that's always the main focus, um, is to sort of motivate those folks. And, and, you know, Republicans always sort of have an edge when it comes to sort of, you know, when there's big spending passed and they can, you know, they have a history of sort of railing against big spending and, well, at least, especially when they don't have the White House, <laughs> the deficit, the deficit the concerns place. are less are less notable right. when they're when their guys in charge. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I you know I I think for Biden though, I mean this you know the probably the biggest thing about this is that he promised to do this and he kept his promise and and so as you know they're always the party in power at the White House braces for losses in the midterms and I think. You know, the more things they can accomplish that they've promised, the more, you know, the better argument they'll make that, that you know, their party has done a good job in charge. So uh, I think it's imperative that they get this stuff done. And that's that's why we're going to see now this this pressure building to end the filibuster, because mm -hmm. with with that in the way, they're going to be they're going to be hard pressed to get these big initiatives done. So and the president sort of at his press conference indicated that maybe he was open to some sort of changes in that, which was news. Uh, every time mm -hmm. he talks about it, it's news because at first he was against changing it. So that's that's going to be the next act of this is you know, how much 
how willing are they, how far are they willing to go to get stuff passed? Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's going to be a fascinating political uh, kind of, uh, I don't know if battle is the right word, but just to kind of see how that unfolds, we'll definitely talk about that one on a future episode. Um, moving on this week, uh, Republicans turned the rhetoric up to 11 on Democrat Rita Hart's challenge in Iowa's second congressional district election results. You all know the story by now, but for any listeners out there who just emerged from a coma, uh, real quickly here, Republican Marionette Miller-Meeks won by just six votes out of nearly 400,000, and Hart is challenging those results in the Democrat-controlled U.S. House because her campaign believes roughly two dozen ballots were legally cast but not counted. Republicans accused Hart, the campaign, of using the Democrats' House majority to change the election's outcome, saying they should have gone through state legal processes first, while Hart's campaign says the House was the only proper avenue to resolve the uncounted ballots, that the state's recount procedures are insufficient. Now that we're caught up, Todd, uh, Republicans have really been putting on the full court press here, uh, speaking of PR political campaigns. Uh, The last week or two, um, press conferences, press releases all over social media, uh, the Hart campaign did finally kind of respond this week. Um, Whether that GOP full court press is working or not, or, or, or maybe just some Democrats were uneasy with the whole thing regardless, there have been a few congressional Democrats who have expressed unease with the Hart campaign's chosen route here. What's your gut tell you, Todd? Do you believe House Democrats will vote to reverse the second district election results? Well, you know, I, I think their uh, their their hearts are with Rita Hart, not to, <laughs> not to make a pun, but uh, but I think in the end this is going to be a political calculation, not a vote calculation. And I, I I'm starting to get a feeling this week reading you know what was said, and I think I think I read that the speaker was going to have something to say about this on Monday. Was there something that had been reported? Uh, I, I just, I'm beginning to believe that the calculation will be saving this one house seat is not worth the grief it's going to receive politically. And also the, how it's going to, you know, uh, sort of spark these charges of hypocrisy that you're telling Republicans they're supposed to you know, stop talking about a stolen election while you're, you know, investigating an election with the possibility of overturning the results. So I, I think in the end, they may just dispatch this and, and leave well enough alone. But I, I could be wrong. I mean, it is a narrow majority and this could be an important seat. But uh, I think, you know, the other calculation is that overturning it and taking the seat is is going to make it hard to hold it anyway. So, you know, if you if you abandon this, then you, maybe you have a chance to flip that next time in a in a fairly competitive district. So I think yeah. they're I think they're gonna cut bait. Yeah, let me let me uh put you on the spot here with another crystal ball question, Todd. That just that makes me think. So let's let's say that that you're right and and whatever the does or doesn't happen procedurally that Marionette Miller makes stays in the seat and fills out the term. Can Rita Hart run for that office again? Can she run in that race again, given what she's tried to do here in these past few weeks? Or or, or does that put yeah. her in a tough spot? You know, get, gives the Miller-Meeks campaign a, a, a big bludgeon right away to start out that campaign. Yeah, it puts her in a tough spot. I mean, she's just, she's going to be inundated with, you know, attack ads 
pointing out yeah. that she and Nancy Pelosi tried to steal the right. seat or, you know, it, I mean, that may not be accurate in the end, but the, but accuracy, what's that got to do with <laughs> campaign ads? So uh, it's, yeah, I, I think she probably is not who you want to send out there next time, but I mean, she can run. It's, it's, it is, it remains a free country at this hour, say, so she, free can, country, I'm told. she can, but, <laughs> but they might, you know, they might want to think about a different challenger because I mean, Marionette Miller meets one by six votes. So you think maybe you've got a shot. So six votes. I, I, I keep coming back to, uh, I, I can't remember where I read this. Uh, so forgive me for the lack of citation, but the, someone had reported that there were, I don't know, X thousand votes out of Johnson County that uh, undervoted, that voted for Biden, but didn't fill in the, yeah. um, the second. Like 3,000 some. Yeah, thank you. I mean, just a huge mm-hmm. number. Just a remarkable. I mean, you want to talk about uh, Democrats. Yeah. Taking votes, a... you, might, you might want to do some campus outreach next time. Jeez, so. All right. Well, that was an election that happened roughly five months mm. ago. We're going to finish this week by talking about another election that won't happen for another 34 months, the 2024 <laughs> presidential primary and Iowa's caucuses, assuming they're still first in the nation and, and relevant in any way. C-SPAN is kicking off its Road to the White House 2024 series today. Uh, we're recording this podcast on Friday morning. So yeah, so yeah, so there's your depressing thought for the day. Other than Todd who's <laughs> handling this so much better than Amy and I are. <laughs> so, so uh, the, the C-SPAN's kicking it off by covering former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who's making a visit to Iowa. Uh, he actually spoke, probably done, if I'm looking reading my watch correctly already, Friday morning, spoke to a suburban Des Moines conservative group, and he's also reportedly hosting a fundraiser for First District Congresswoman Ashley Hinson. So first of all, please congratulate me at this moment for withholding my sobs at the thought of another presidential campaign already underway. But sure enough, and in C-SPAN's defense, it's not just Pompeo, the Scott brothers, South Carolina U.S. Senator Tim Scott and Florida U.S. Senator Rick Scott, yes, that was a joke, they're not really brothers, are both headed to Iowa within the next month. So the campaign trail is real, it is already happening. Uh, So Todd, uh, please kill me. Don't have a question for you. Just please kill me. No, okay, fine. I'll ask a question. So what's interesting about this on the Republican side is the specter of former President Donald Trump, obviously. Um, There was a poll that came out uh, early this past week that said 60% of Iowa Republicans said they would vote for Donald Trump if he was in the Republican primary. So I guess until Trump says one way or another, what he's going to do, people like Pompeo, the Scots, Tom Cotton, Nikki Haley, et cetera, et cetera. I, I guess they have to come here to at least start laying the groundwork. Is, is that what we're seeing right now? Yeah. You know, the the prospect of a potential Scott Scott ticket has got to have people pretty excited. Uh, <laughs> Great Scott. <laughs> Scott, squared. Scott squared. Scott squared. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what that's what you do is you uh, you start coming to Iowa and meeting people and making connections with the the various kingmakers and and all of that and and yeah you can do that you know a lot of even if you know you're waiting for Trump to decide because I mean you might as well because he who knows what he'll decide and when and and whether that decision will stick or you know it's it's he's he's unpredictable 
so yeah, you come to Iowa, and and you, most of these guys are delivering, these candidates are delivering messages that are fairly consistent with with sort of the the you know the Trump the Trump government uh, agenda. So it's not like they're going to offend Trump necessarily by coming to Iowa, but uh, yeah, I mean this is this is what you do, and you do it early, and and yeah, it's uh, it's it's sort of ridiculous how early it is, but that's that's the model, especially when if Trump doesn't decide to run again, that it looks like it's going to be a really crowded, you know. Uh, caucus primary i think pompeo actually called it the uh, first in the nation primary this morning or the iowa primary at his event i heard so that too he's yep. gonna have to overcome that initial gaffe first stumble right out of the gate <laughs> I mean, it's not as it's not as bad as calling the hawkeyes the buckeyes but i mean it's you know it's it's not not great <laughs> well todd we'll ask this time this question on this podcast probably five million times between now and 2023 but uh if Trump does run, does he clear the field or do you think he'll still um, get people like, well, some of these big names like Pompeo, Tom Cotton, Nikki Haley, do you think they would run in a primary with Donald Trump against, I should say? Yeah, I mean, it, there are a lot of, you know, variables, some unforeseen, whether, you know, he eventually is under criminal indictment in, in New York or something like that. Uh, but all things remaining constant, I would say, yeah, he would probably clear the field because, I mean, you've got this huge swath of the electorate that believes, you know, he should still be president now. So uh, the fact that they believe it was stolen from him is going to make them motivated to to put him back up. But yeah. uh, like I say, you know, there's, he's, he's an older guy, so there's the health issue and, you know, there's all sorts of things that could change. But yeah, like I say, given given current factors, I, I think he probably would be the clear front runner. Yeah. Uh, on the other side, Amy, President Joe Biden made a little news this week uh, during his first press conference when he said he intends to run for re-election. He said that could change, but he said that his intention to run for re-election. And that was noteworthy only because, you know, some of the political sphere had speculated that maybe he would only serve one term, then turn over the reins to his vice president, Kamala Harris, or, or or maybe an open primary, uh, depending on how that unfolded. Uh, did uh, his declaration surprise you, Amy? No, I. you know, what I've been reading about is, is I think he needs to really make that declaration that he's going to run again, because if he doesn't, he becomes a lame duck president, right? And then his agenda is, you know, could be lost in there and, and things like that. Um, he very well could be run, wanting to run for re-election, um, but I, I think I've seen enough articles that, that are anonymously sourcing Democrats that say he's not going to run for a second term that I think maybe it is just let me put it out there and say it's 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 possible that I'm going to run. And then if he pulls it back later, then he'll sort of lose that whole three years of lame duckness that he would otherwise have. Yeah. So it's probably a good strategy for him to put out there whether or not he's he's going to run again is is an open question, probably. Give you a chance, Todd, to jump in on that same question. Well, it's it's one thing that you can say that they can't fact check because we don't know yet. Uh, yeah, I mean, Amy's right. You can't you can't you know come in and in a couple of months and say you're not going to run again. I mean, you have to basically leave the door open and let you know your 
your congressional opponents and critics wonder whether you are a lame duck and whether they can just kind of, you know, run out the clock or, or whether you're intending to run again. Uh, you know, I think part of it will depend on what he gets accomplished. If he gets a lot of his goals accomplished somehow, you know, maybe he'll just say there, I did what I wanted to do and now I'm going to, you know, head back to Delaware. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I think Amy's right that odds are maybe against it among, you know, the folks in that know, but, you know, it's just, it's, it's, if, you know, and if, if Trump runs again, then do you make the calculation that once again, that Biden is probably the best candidate to sort of, you know, throw out against him? Or do you conclude that Kamala Harris would be better? And if, and if Biden doesn't run, does the field clear for Kamala or, do a bunch of Democrats get in and try to run anyway? So yeah, yeah, that's those are all big questions we can't answer. Yeah. So speaking of that press conference and uh, full disclosure here for our listeners, we usually kind of game plan what topics we're going to talk about. And I didn't mention this one, so I'm putting our, our folks on the spot here. But I'm <laughs> curious. Um, the press court caught a lot of heat about the topics that were covered in in President Biden's first press conference. Uh, the other day, speaking of this, uh, uh, he got asked this question plus multiple follow-ups on it, uh, but there were no questions about the pandemic, no questions about uh, gun control. I was wondering if either you, either A, first of all, did you see or consume the, the proceedings of the press conference and if you had any reaction to, um, you know, the topics that were covered and, the, and did the White House press corps kind of drop the ball on uh, stuff they could have or maybe even should have been asking about Todd, how about you? Yeah, I I think the, the criticism was was fair. I mean, we we had this you know this clamp people clamoring for weeks for him to have his first press conference, and then we get to that press conference finally, and the news is that he's says he's going to run for a second <laughs> term, which you know we're what I don't know how many days we're into the first term sixty. I you know so yeah, I mean you know if you if you, you know, took 10 people off the street and asked them would have come up. And I, I think COVID probably would have, and, and he didn't get any questions about that. Or, and I don't think the economy came up too much. So I think there are just, you know, we, and, you know, we're, we're all, we've all been guilty of it at one point or another, where you go into a press conference and you're like, I want to ask a question that's going to make news, not a question that's going to provide you know, greater understanding to the electorate. And, and so that's, that's often what happens is you get, you know, you get a situation yeah. like that where a political sort of procedural story trumps, uh, you know, what, what a more substantive uh, issue. Yeah. Amy, how about you? Were you able to tune in at all to the press conference? I, I wasn't, but I, I was sort of reading some analysis after the fact, and I did think it was notable that he wasn't asked at all about coronavirus. And he even brought it up. I mean, he was the one who said he was setting a new goal of having, you know, 200 million vaccine doses in his first 100 days instead of 100 million. Um, that would have sort of been the opening for reporters to be like, oh, yeah, I should ask about that. <laughs> and and still no one did. So it it's not for lack of questions. You know, I mean, there's still questions about the vaccine rollout, about how come states aren't getting as much as, as they were going to get about um, whether there will still be testing available, um, how hospitals are going to get supplies. Is there, 
is the national stockpile going to be built back up and and with what money and and how are we going to do it better this time? You know, hopefully, you know, we're able to maybe reassess. And by we, I mean, you know, report can, can reassess and sort of remember to ask those questions. Like we're, we're not out of the pandemic and, and yeah. his administration, I think should still have to, you know, keep that in mind and, and be questioned on that. Yeah, send, send send Amy to the White House right away. Send me to the White House. Uh, well, yeah, it, it also plays into the you know the critics of the press on the on the right who, well, you know the, the president, former president would say, you know, once I'm once you know after this election or once I'm gone, you won't even ask about COVID anymore. Well, and here's the mm. first press conference, and it's like, yeah, right. they, didn't, they didn't ask the president <laughs> right. about COVID. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, yeah, sometimes the the level of self parody is is troubling. <laughs> Unfortunate, and like and like I said, the other one that amazed me was no questions about uh, gun regulations, given we're fresh off of yep. two yeah, question is being had. And I mean, we're talking about possible legislation again. It's not like it's some ethereal discussion. There's very real legislative possibilities here, and then that doesn't come up either. Uh, uh, back to back news stories recently. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fortunately, us here on the On Iowa Politics podcast all ask the perfect questions at the exact right time in all press conferences. So you can feel good about that. (laughs) On that note, that's it for this week's podcast. We thank you all for listening and we hope it was worth your time. If you like the show, subscribe and tell a friend. You can send fan mail to onIowaPolitics at gmail.com. And don't forget the work of everyone you heard today and those who couldn't join us as well, can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs, Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. I'm going to start asking for credits music over those as I... As I <laughs> for Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>